0: Welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host and this week my interview with my guest Chris Sicard continues. Uh, We're going to talk about the Seattle independent music scene and he's going to share with us a sample of an ethnographic paper he wrote about the subject. Now what's an ethnographic paper for anthropology class you might be asking? Um, Well just keep listening and find out but first I wanted to share with you another sample of his upcoming solo album called Critter. It's a full link that's going to be available in early August, right around the time his daughter is going to be born. Um, and again, I would like to congratulate both Chris and his wife, Emily. I've, um, I, I've known Chris for about six years now, and in that time, I've known him to be um, kind of a, a earnest, self-serious guy. Uh, driven focused and wildly intelligent i've i've always enjoyed talking to him um and i think i like talking to Chris because uh, uh just so i could feel a little smarter uh, but hearing him talking about the upcoming birth of their child uh, there's there, there's some of it in the podcast but a lot of it was actually before and after we actually recorded uh, but there's a there's a hopefulness there and a happiness that I've not seen from chris sakkar and that uh that makes me happy and hopeful also um but anyhow uh when we recorded last there were 14 songs from Critter available on Spotify for you to check out, and do go check those out. Or you can check out the uh, previous episode where we have samples of all the songs that we talked about. But now, thanks to the time traveling magic of post production, Chris has now dropped two more tracks, including a tune that he described as one of his favorites on the whole album. It's a goth pop dance jam called Get in Line. Featuring the amazingly talented Danny Denial. My interview with Chris Sicard continues next. You're listening to Mike Cybert Radio. would like to transition if we can yeah, sure. to kind of like the, this larger conversation about the I, I I guess what what are we calling it like like a state of the scene type of uh, type of thing
1: yeah I would like to preface this because I want to make sure I don't ruffle any feathers um, that I am not the arbiter of the scene slash scenes, or the um, there's there's tons of little uh, micro ecosystems that exist in Seattle, mm-hmm. and none are connected, but they're all connected. Um, so it, anything that I'm saying here is purely based on my experience and should not be taken uh, as whole cloth truth
0: yeah well yeah. and and I think we we've discussed that in our previous conversations that that folks can you know go and dig through the archives because we, when we've talked about the scene we've talked about factions within the scene right. or like tangential scenes within the scenes, you know, almost kind of like uh, a, a series of Venn diagrams that, that occasionally bubble over and cross over. But
1: I like to call it the the uh, Seattle independent scene music scene cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah.
0: Uh, so. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess. um let's let's talk about the paper. first of all, um, give me in a little bit of I, I'm sorry, give me and the listeners a little more context of where this project came from mm-hmm. and really what it is before yeah. before we kind of pop the hood and kind of kind of take a look underneath.
1: Yeah, the whole idea came to me when uh, I was supposed to be writing this paper for an anthropology class. And it was, I was just trying to think of what is something that I could uh, explain my experience with um, for like an ethnographic style paper. I've never written an ethnographic paper before. I am very uh, young considering uh, my uh, school experience because mm-hmm. I uh, just recently going back to school, which is
0: hurrah, education. Um, it's awesome. Man. And I, I don't want to interrupt you, but I got to, um, you know, advocating for returning to education as an adult, because that was literally my experience. Yeah. You know, it's like I was at a, a crossroads career wise and I knew where I was at that time in my life. I needed a change, but I didn't know exactly what that change was. Right. So I, you know, in a, in my mid thirties, go back to school and it, it it was an incredible experience. And it took me on a completely different journey than the one that I thought I was setting out to do. Because I mean, I, I didn't go to Green River College looking to be a radio DJ or, you know, somebody working at a uh, news and talk station. In fact, I I came across the radio stuff way late. I I was almost done with my IT degree, and I you know I've told the story millions and millions of times over the last six years. But like I I literally just came out of one of my IT classes, saw a billboard in the hallway with pictures of like some of the equipment we were looking at here in the studio. It says "Be on the radio KGRG." I'm like, oh. So I I ended up taking that that class over the summer. Got bit by the bug six years later, you and I are sitting here across the table from each other in downtown Seattle talking on uh, on fancy Regia equipment.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're in the Como News Studio, which is a pretty historic studio yeah. for Seattle. Um, it's kind of surreal, because you go into say you do college radio mm-hmm. as, as an artist or as a musician or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, this is really great. It's my this is my first opportunity to to get exposure or to get um you know heard by somebody. Yeah, and yeah. then you kind of gradually like okay cool we did uh we did one oh seven seven we did um we got featured on uh, KISW yeah and you know being here in the Como News Studio so there's like little tiny things that maybe radio isn't as big as it used to be right. but it's still special for me because I yeah. grew up with it and it's so uh, yeah
0: understood I think, um, but but yeah I mean lo- long long tangent there but yeah I am a I'm a huge advocate for returning to education cool. I, I I it's um you know I I've joked in other places about like you know you know hashtag math is hard and things like that but there's there there's something about critical thinking that you know, stretching new muscles, kind of putting new wrinkles in your brain right. that that comes from having those experiences and uh, returning to school as an adult really kind of is is challenging in a in a rewarding way, uh, an aggravating way at times, but but very fun and very rewarding. But that's I, I I'm I'm going way way off topic no, just talking about.
1: I, I wouldn't have um you know in my twenties I wouldn't have been prepared to go back to school mm. like yeah. I didn't want to. I, I didn't have any idea about uh, a path or anything. And now I'm just glad that I'm doing it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, right. Yeah. We, where were we? We were talking about the paper. Yes. Um, so, uh, I'm writing, you know, going back to school, first time writing an ethnographic paper, what I assume is like uh, close enough for it. My anthropology teacher seems to think that it was good enough. Um, and he is a. Uh, uh, professor of anthropology and a really smart guy, and also a really interesting person. Um, and I sent it off to him, and he approved it and uh, gave me a thumbs up and all that good stuff. Uh, but it was—I was trying to find something about uh, something about my life that I felt I could express to other people about. Really digging in and not just like, oh, here's some songs and maybe you'll get to know me, but really Mm -hmm. what my experience has been like as a uh, musician and not just like from the artist perspective, but from an audience member perspective, from the perspective of what it's like to consider bringing in uh, how how should we be paid as uh, artists or musicians or entertainers and realizing that all of those things, again, just like the different scenes and the different uh, ecosystems in Seattle, there's no one answer because what's broken for some people is working great for others and so you can't put a broad uh, answer on something and say, well, all artists should be paid this when in reality it's all about symbiosis. But again, I don't actually even agree with that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like I'm saying it, but I don't like. It's just these are little um, uh, little things that I started realizing. Like, oh, I actually have a lot to um, extrapolate on mm-hmm. when it comes to those positions with pay and hours and um, and. Uh, in group culture and sexism and racism and all of those things in that field, and then try I tried to say it, I tried to say it objectively, but there is a section two sections in the paper where the tone just this is why I'm glad it was an extra credit paper. It was uh, the tone I just shifted it because I when I did from the perspective of the audience member, um, it became more of like a comedy. Uh, okay, what, it, what it's like because. Should I read something from this?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that- A- absolutely. You're, you're uh, well, and and as we were corresponding, I I said, you know, the platform is yours. You can you can read as much or as little as you would like to share. But I'm I'm incredibly fascinated because okay. uh, you know, and it, one of the things that you know, I've shared, I've 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 always enjoyed our conversations, and I I've just enjoyed your analytical nature. you just you just have a a very interesting perspective on life that I just I just think is is really, really cool and and really admirable.
1: Well, I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> um, other people might say that I talk too much, but well, <laughs> good thing
0: the... we're on a podcast cuz yeah. cuz that was the thing too. It's like, you know, this is this is a wide open topic. Yeah, let's just let's just sit here and talk
1: about yeah, it. Yeah, you know what? That's the whole it's the same thing with putting out music. It's all like that's me talking too much, but you know what? If you're going to listen to it, then it, great, it's for you. If if um if you're not going to listen to it, then it's not for you, I guess, you know?
0: Exactly. I mean, cuz like a, there, there's all kinds of like arguments. It's so funny how like and I'm sure you see this in in music also, but like in in podcasting also people get like really gatekeepery and really shitty about stuff and and one of the things is like um uh episode length you know it's like oh if you put an episode over an hour nobody's going to listen well some people do well and and what i've discovered especially over this this uh this uh um last year is you let the audience decide yeah and they, they will either listen or they won't, yeah. but it's better to give them the option rather than try to dictate what they want. And it,
1: and it all comes down to just doing what you do for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to do it, then do it. And um, that's all that really matters. Absolutely.
0: So, uh, so before you kind of dive into uh, uh, sharing what's in the paper, you had, a, you had a sample you pulled up for us. Um what the heck is uh wh- wh- what is ethnographics? I-, I don't even know what that is in terms of like an anthropology term.
1: So an ethnographic paper is like you- you're basically writing about uh th- how uh, a culture might exist. Oh, um okay. so like let me let me pull it up here. Um so relating to the scientific description of peoples and cultures with their customs, habits and mutual differences. Mm. Uh, so without so, it, the, the trick is as an author, when you're writing a paper like that, you are trying to um, do it unbiased, which is really difficult because you have to know enough about the culture to put yourself into it, um, but not apply your pre existing biases into that culture. So, like, you would say, oh, uh, I'm writing a paper about this tribe that is from, you know, South America and mm-hmm. they don't have access to, uh, you know, maybe they they don't have technology and maybe th- that's by choice and they don't want to integrate into the modern world or whatever. And it's you, even using words like that, using like, oh, they don't want to integrate into the modern world, the modern world. Ah. What's, what, why is their world not modern? It's that we're applying when you have to be unbiased. You can't uh-huh. apply your lens To That paper Mm -hmm. um, in the same way that makes it so it's like everything that you hear is just your perspective. It has to be a perspective of like just exactly what it is. So when I wrote my paper, it's like. Again, I'm not a. I am not an anthropologist, uh, but I took the class. Um, <laughs> I did my best, but I think really what came out was a little bit of both. Sure, there is of course my perspective is in there, but I do my very best to remind the reader that it is not just. This is not the you know whole cloth truth, like I'm right. saying. Yeah, yeah. This is um, this perspective is what I've gotten. And I'm not trying to say it's good or bad. It just is, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's a big part of it.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. So that being said, you uh, you mentioned you had a, a sample you'd like to share with us. Yeah,
1: okay. this is the uh, this is the area that I said kind of like changed the tone of the paper. Yeah, yeah. It kind of starts off academic and then it goes into like this kind of funny area, and then it gets academic again, um, and then it goes into perspectives of other Seattle artists, uh, which is really, uh, I think, probably the most successful part of the paper. But I'm going to read the part that's funny. Because I think um, if you've ever been to a show before, as an audience member, then
0: you will probably relate to this in some way. Well, do we even need to make that designation that uh, a show, the the colloquialism for, for a show is different than, say, like, a concert? <laughs> you, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> like, in some ways, there are
1: similarities. However, just to give you a, a, a preface of what this is actually talking about, is I'm not talking about um, music as a... Um, as like going to the Wamu Theater and watching Beyonce, or going to Quest Stadium or whatever, whatever it's called now, and watching you two come mm-hmm. in and play. Hey, we're we're playing the hits, so, you know, like that. That's a whole other experience, and that deserves its own. Uh, and and it has they all have biographies and they've got historians that talk about rock music at the yeah. stadium level and that's not what this is yeah um, there there are also several documentaries and books and write-ups about smaller scenes but this is just my humble little perspective on it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I just bring that up for that. That's been very much my experience in that, like, I, I think before I dabbled in college radio, I mean, sure, like, you know, everybody's got like a brother's cousins cover band that that plays at the local bar, you know, Thursday nights or something like that. But I don't think it was until I got involved with, with KGRG that I really understood the difference of large air quotes the local scene compared to say like i said that that's all i knew was like concerts or you know my my brother's uncle's cousin's cover band right uh but there was like this whole middle ground that i just had like no exposure to and and i'm grateful for it but it's like so when i hear that that's we talked about like Imprints earlier that that and that's something that's forever ingrained with me. It's like, um, you know, somebody will say, like, oh, I, I went to, you know, um, uh, I, I went to go see a concert at Jimmy Z's or something like that. It's right. like, okay, yeah, <laughs> sir, yeah, and and really
1: everybody's gonna have, uh, their own personal experiences with that small, uh, independent music scene. Uh, idea what that might mean for them. Or they might just uh, be in that realm of just like, hey, I live maybe you live in the suburbs and that's i don't mean that as a derogatory thing. Yeah. Uh but maybe you live in the suburbs and you're yeah, oh cool. Your buddy or your coworker uh is playing in a rock band yeah. and you know what? Wow, they're really good. I can't believe you guys aren't signed and like you hear that a lot. Um and and that's great. But there's also there's this whole world of struggling uh, the the uh, the paint the picture of the starving artist right <laughs> um there just as there were starving artists you know who are painting there are starving musicians who are painting their songs and they're to, they're doing the hustle and they're yeah. trying to find a way to maintain that integrity of Who they are and their art and what they want to do, and also trying to be successful. And being successful could mean a number of things, but I think many of us are uh, constantly uh, hoping that it will be um, to be acknowledged that we are taking our craft seriously. Yeah. And not just like, oh, hey, yeah, such and such uh, he dinks around on the guitar, and or they dink around on their laptop and make some songs, and and then nothing, nothing. Right. Instead, it is part of our identity. It's not the only part, right. but it's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people will agree with me on that. Yep. So, since we've been waxing intellectual uh, <laughs> about uh, so much um, from a musician's perspective, you heard me talk about. Uh, song structures and lyrics and other bands and things like that, I thought it'd be really great to talk about from the working hours, what I deem the working hours from the uh, audience member perspective. Um, The working hours, often people think if you're a musician, your working hours are when you show up to the gig and you play the show, and that's your working hours. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So I'm going to read this little bit here. It's Wednesday night, and you're at home relaxing after a long day of capitalist grinding. Just as you're about to change into your comfy clothes, you suddenly receive a message on your phone. Hey, I know it's last minute, but my band is playing a show over at Venue McGee's tonight, and I would love to see you there. You are being pressured by an acquaintance, or perhaps even a good friend, to upend your evening routine and spare your typically sedentary comfort on a weeknight to do what any good friend would do and support your friend's art. What time does the show start? Oh, you don't go on until 10pm? Okay. How much is the cover? It's $10 in cash only? You cancelled last time, they asked. So despite your better judgment, you begin what will effectively be, at best, a three-hour endeavor. You begin the evening by leaving home at 8.30 p.m. The drive to the venue is at minimum a 30-minute drive away, depending on the level of traffic in Seattle at that given moment. The majority of Seattle's venues are dispersed among isolated neighborhoods, unlike other major music cities that might have an entire area dedicated to music and shows. Seattle's early 1900s infrastructure means that there are only one or two ways into areas such as West Seattle or Ballard. Innumerable one-way streets plagued by never-ending Bezosian construction that is littered through downtown guarantees that you will miss your turn at least once. Once you're in the general vicinity of the venue, you begin to scout for a potential parking space. This could mean the difference between actually attending the show or going home. If you're highly fortunate, you will find a street parking spot where the hours to pay have passed, and you can rest easy knowing you will return to your vehicle sans parking ticket. More likely, you have found yourself beholden to the Iron Fist that is Diamond Parking or another similar parking lot company. The cost for parking may vary between $10 to $20 on average. You've parked and made your way to the front door of the venue at roughly 9.15 p.m., a good 45 minutes prior to the time your friend will be on stage. You're greeted at the door by the security person or ticket salesperson that carries themselves with the weight of someone that absolutely would not be there if not for the fact that they were being guaranteed an evening's pay. They remind you the cover is $10, cash only. You ask for an ATM, which by using, you will incur a $3 transaction fee. If you are not a regular participant in the of the Seattle independent music scene, you can likely withdraw $40 from your account, of which you will promptly hand half of to the door person in exchange for a handful of mixed bills. Later on, having mixed bills in your possession, you will encourage you will encourage you to part with your change faster when you inevitably buy a drink at the bar and need to tip the bartender as well. This leaves you at $30. You scout the room. Searching for either the friend that asked you to come or perhaps a friendly face of someone you might have met at a previous show. You wander to the bar and order a drink. If it's an alcoholic one, you are now down to $20. If it's non-alcoholic, roughly $25. Don't forget to tip your bartender, which you will be reminded of by every group that performs that evening. (laughs) As 10 p.m. draws near, you find yourself saddled to a wall so as not to be awkwardly standing alone in the middle of a sparse room with roughly 10 to 15 people. You finally see your friend and breathe a sigh of relief that you're actually getting some well-deserved face time. They mention to you that the show is running a bit late, and they will be going on at ten fifteen p.m. You say, no problem, but it actually is one. You've made the choice to have another drink, which leaves you with 15 to $20. Since you've come all this way, you attempt to immerse yourself in the music. There's a group playing before your friend's group, and they turn out to be the group you will enjoy the most all evening. This is not something you tell your friend. At 10.20 p.m., your friend finally takes the stage. You intently listen to their band, either perfectly perform their original music and marvel at the sinews of the group, or you politely appear to remain engaged as the performance ends up being not your cup of tea. After 35 minutes, the band is done playing. You come up to the front of the stage and get ready to say your goodbyes to your friend, but they ask you to hang on just a minute while I break down my gear. I'll be right back. This turns into a 25-minute wait at best. The time is now 11.15 p.m. Once your friend slash co slash acquaintance can take a moment to chat with you, they ask you, with hope in their eyes, if you enjoyed the show. You muster out that you can't remember any of the names of the songs, but you liked the second to the last one. You say this, not actually remembering the song, but it helps the idea seem more believable than saying you liked them all. Your friend then guides you over to their merchandise table that has a few t-shirts, none of which will be in your actual size or color preference, some stickers, and some form of novelty physical media, maybe something like a CD or a cassette. But due to the popularity of nostalgia, physical media will be a CD, cassette, or vinyl record, and none of which you will own a player for because the year is 2021, and you were likely using a music streaming service. You agree to buy a sticker and give them $5. This is the most profit they will make all night. At 11.30 p.m., you finally make it back to your car to discover that you were parked three feet into the load unload yellow strip on the backside of your car. The ticket is $55. As you're driving home, you are either adding up the numbers of the evening, which is not recommended, or staring out into the abyss of empty Seattle streets, which you did not know existed, because who in their right mind would do this on a Wednesday night? You arrive home at 12 a.m. and set your alarm for work at 6.
0: <laughs> okay, there's <laughs> something to unpack there. first of all, that's way too real yeah,' <laughs> Cause, I mean having having been that friend, I've been that friend I think
1: I think if you've been to or you have friends in the Seattle music scene, everyone has if if you've been there
0: you've yeah been. it's uh that that that's too real that that cuts deep that's mm-hmm. got a little sting on it,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was the whole thing is like, as I was typing it up, I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, I know exactly how this feels and I know other people have too. And not, I should, I should end with a thought. And that thought is that I am not that negative. I don't think that that is everyone's experience. I do think that that is a lot of people's experience though. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, but by the same token, I mean we uh, we support our homies, you know, and and that's I and I don't I don't know if you get into this in in the paper or not, but like you know, in some of our previous conversations, we we've talked about that ecosystem of like uh, the other third of the folks that are at that show are from other bands in the right. scene and it's so it's homies supporting homies and, yeah. and you know kind of being part of that ecosystem as well
1: and that that is a whole other aspect of independent music or independent performance that is that that's just the reality yeah is that you can only ask your friends and family to come out to support you so many times and the there's a, there's a point in time where saturation yeah and talent um, they there's an intersection. Um, and if you don't hit it at a right sweet spot, then you gotta like it doesn't matter how many shows you're gonna play yeah. because you you have to have talent, luck, timing, um you have to have you have to know people and all of those things have to converge at the just just not just your normal timing but just even perfect timing to come say who was there at that show. I know people who, uh, they got on to a big festival because they pl- they happened to play like a house party where somebody from um, uh, uh, Harvey Danger. Oh, was, sure. They were at that. They were just at this random party. They knew somebody who knew somebody, and then the, their friends' band was playing. And mm-hmm. It's like, oh, cool. You know what? We're gonna get. I know some people. Let's get you on this big show, and then. On the other end of it, you've got kids who are now making like lo-fi, chill hip-hop, bedroom pop, and streaming a million streams before they've right. ever played a show in their life, yeah. and that is a whole other aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So, this independent music scene that I'm talking about in this paper, it is unique to independent artists in a way that um, not everybody's going to experience. Which is why I think having r- r- Having written it, yeah. feels really good to have it down as, like, this, this existed, and maybe it's not going to be like this forever. Maybe people will change things and do things differently, right. I hope. But, uh,
0: yeah. Well, and that's part of the reason why I, I wanted to have you on. And again, I appreciate you taking the time. But at a point where we're coming out of the pandemic and things are starting to, I, I'm very reluctant to say, air quotes, return to normal. But like, for example, the uh, here in the Seattle area, the Washington State Fair, the Puyallup Fair just released their their full concert lineup. Mm-hmm. Full uh, Sporting venues are going to full. Full capacity the Mariners are at full capacity the sounders go back to full capacity next month uh, the Seahawks will be at full capacity in the fall um and with that comes you know we, we talked about concerts those are things that are that are happening and even selling out but I I don't know if I've heard a lot from the local scene, like national bands are starting to tour again, but there during the pandemic, there was a, there were several terrific venues that closed. Yeah, Um, you know, I just, uh, like, like, um, uh, I don't know, like, uh, like Louis G's for example there. I, I don't know if they're going to open back up. I doubt it. Probably I think, I, I think they're, they're gone for good. And that, that was a fantastic venue for, uh, for the local scene. Um, but I think there's also we're kind of like at a a cusp of where folks are going to be ready to go back out and support their local homies and to um, you know risk that fifty dollar parking ticket just to just to go out on a Wednesday night and and feel that um, that vibe in that scene mm. um, that you don't get from a YouTube concert. Um, yeah. I don't know, I mean maybe it's just because it's like my taste, but that that's something that like I mean, even as you're reading the paper and telling the story, I was like that sounds great, yeah. <laughs> I mean that sounds like something I would really like to do, and something that I have been desperately missing these last eighteen months, yeah um but i I thought kind of the the time was right for this kind of conversation because we're still kind of staring down the black highway of. What is the scene going to be on the other side of this? So, th- this will kind of make for an interesting uh, time capsule in-, in a way, I suppose. I think so, too. There's, you know, the, if anything
1: has become clear about how uh, things might be, is that we, more than ever, it is clear that there are groups of people. Who live in entirely different realities, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to get political about it because I, I think that's a slippery slope into other conversations. But mm-hmm. the just based on music, you were mentioning about your existence of like you like concerts was one thing, yeah. And for many people, that's all it's ever going to be because they're the way they consume media, the way they consume uh, entertainment. It is a uh, it, it's almost a more passive thing, even though music impacts them in ways that they may not even understand or realize or appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they do appreciate it, when it's like, hey, guess what? YouTube, Beyonce, you know, all these big big names or whatever that people have been around for ages, or they've just got millions of dollars and they can do these big concert arenas. Yeah, yeah. And um, And that is how some people live in that reality. Mm-hmm. And so, when you say getting back to the new normal... Or not new normal. When you say getting back to uh, normal, I don't think n- it will ever be what it was. Yeah. And moving forward, it's going to be a new iteration of that. And I think, I hope that it's more inclusive. Yeah. I hope that it's more understanding of the value of what these people are putting out there for themselves, not in a way of, I'm so important because I'm a musician, but important because we're trying to give you that feeling Mm -hmm. that you you mentioned that you want that feeling back, that Mm -hmm. feeling of being in a small, intimate room, Yeah, and that's really what it is. And if we can bring that to people and people can appreciate that because they didn't have that for so long, for a year and a half, then maybe people will start to, as I mentioned at the end of the paper, hopefully people will start to... um, treat it as important as it
0: actually is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Uh, Chris Card, it is... Always a pleasure uh, hanging out. It's uh, It's been far too long. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, before we part ways for now, uh, do you want to do uh, one more pitch and plug for uh, your solo project for Critter? And maybe let folks know where we can connect with you on the internets and the social medias and and all, all, all that cool, fun stuff, and/or I mean, anything else you want to plug while, uh, while, while I got you here? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, I would just like to say that uh, Critter is coming out on, on August sixth, um, and it will be available on uh, Spotify and all the streaming services and everything. But I think I've been using Spotify the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, August sixth, Critter by Chris Sicard. That's the album uh, that you can find uh, in, in all those places. And I just want to say, um, I really want to say thank you to my wife Emily because if I didn't have her in my life, then um, I don't know if this would have happened. Mm-hmm. I, and I I really am just super appreciative of the the partner that she has been for our relationship and um, I love her very much so
0: thank you Emily ah oh, that is incredibly sweet um, yeah so everybody listening out there go uh, go home and hug your sweetie <laughs> all that
1: yeah. and then go put on one of my sweet sad love songs <laughs>
0: it's like but it's so sad but it's so good it's so sad get get in all of those feels there. And that will wrap things up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Now, next week begins the celebration of the 35th anniversary of The Transformers, the movie, with special guest George Soroy of the Excelsior Journeys podcast. He will join me to talk about what he will be doing to celebrate that iconic classic. You won't want to miss it. And if you want to listen to all of my past shows, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever the heck else you listen to your podcasts. And you can check out the full show archive out on SoundCloud. Five years and over 300 episodes worth of shows out there. And join us for the Mike Cyber Radio Podcast live stream, whenever those happen, uh, streaming live on Twitter, YouTube, YouTube twitch and facebook live like share rate and review the show let us know what you'd like and what you'd like to hear more of in the future for my guest chris Sicard, my name is mike this has been mike sybert radio and until next time tell all or one make good choices you've been listening to the mike sybert radio podcast follow us on
1: facebook twitter and instagram by searching at mike sybert radio email us at mikecybertradio at gmail.com. The spelling on that, of course, is S-E-I-B-E-R-T. Call into the voicemail hotline at 231-224-MIKE. Once again, that's 231-224-6453. Special thanks to Michael Geisler for our theme music. For more like it, check out ByDoorMusic.com. This has been a Mike Seibert Radio production.